Hello and welcome back to the No Ratings Podcast. We have a first time ever for this, I believe. I Don't quote me on this, I could be completely wrong. But we have an all-seat cast, minus me, but just ignore me for the time. We have three guests that are all-seat, and I believe it's the first time ever you're going to hear that on a football or sports pod. I'd even go as far as saying a pod in Europe, and I'm very happy about that. As you can tell, very quickly, Raj Bells, who you have heard from before, uh, and we will come to Babs in a second, but very quickly, Bells, what have you been up to recently? Because uh, I think you're getting a bit too famous for the pod. That's what I'm hearing <laughs> on the grapevine. No, luckily, some some opportunities have fallen my way mm. with like some guys, uh, Football Daily guys, so that's been good. But of course, I have to come back to my roots, to my home, uh, and, and bring a feature for you. Hey, love that. I'm patting my chest for those that can't tell. Like like Bells is like my daughter or something. I don't know don't know why it's like that, but it is. Um Raj, how you been, man? Last time I texted you, where were you going? Um Yeah, yeah, I was um had some random weekend away in Bognor Regis. Uh where is that? It's like it's like two hours south of uh London. It's where Butlins is. Yeah, it's not I'm not gonna go back there, I can tell you that. I swear to God, I thought it was like in Poland or something. Like <laughs> when you text me, I was like, when I replied to you, going, "Yo, where is that?" I actually thought you were abroad somewhere for a stag or something, but you just chose to go to a place south of England. Weird. No, well, basically, my mates uh, nominate a random place in England to go to once a year, and it ended up being Bognorides. <laughs> that is w- very bizarre, but I mean, I won't judge you for you for what you get up to in your spare time. Uh, Bavs, welcome to the pod. A debut. We are going to talk about our history in a second. Uh, but as I always ask newbies on the pod, you have to deliver us a fun fact about yourself. Have you got a fun fact for us? A uh, fun fact about me is that my Babs14 is my YouTube name. The 14 isn't actually to do with Arsenal. Go on. So it's to, it's to do with my uh, <laughs> it's, it's to do with my day of birth. All right. <laughs> I always I always just get. Alright, Bowers 14 because of Arsenal, because of Henri, because I was like, nah, it's not too Henri. It's because it's because of me. I was gonna say, like, for those listening, I did not like tell him there was gonna be a challenge of a fun fact, but you could probably tell by the fact the fun fact wasn't that fun, let's be honest. <laughs> it was not fun. It was not fun. It was on the spot to be honest. <laughs> I rate it, fair play. Just very quickly, um, we have a little bit of a history, and I wanna I wanna just give my like I wanna give the people with the history. The last few messages between us weren't that kind, but they were a long time back, 2018, four years ago. Um, I think at that time, I feel we were working on something together passively with Hugh Wizzy. Um, and I, I can read from my messages, I was Aggie. I actually thought back then I was a sweet guy, but clearly I wasn't. But the message I sent you was, we'll watch in the morn, full stop, sleeping, just woke up because of a phone call, full stop. You said, okay, sure. I said, okay, you said, Okay, I said, why? He said, <laughs> just wanted to know. And I put a thumbs up. And that's it. And then we spoke on the 12th of October this year, four years later. Um, Babs, what's, you, what's, your, what's your memory of that relationship? <laughs> oh, man, that's a throwback. Uh, <laughs> look, it's a long time ago. I think that's 2017, 18, something like that. Yeah. 
uh, yeah, look, it's it was a weird time back then, man. I was I was starting to get into the scene or find my way into it. So like I was just trying to find doors to enter, and it, it was a bit hard at the time. But you know, at the time, look, I'd say when you're so young, you kind of feel like you're better, you're, you've got an ego, you, you know, you're new to the scene, you have no kind of fear. And I think that was my, my issue is I kind of just would say what I wanted to say. It was no kind of filter. Um, but yeah, that time, listen, I, looking back at that time, it was actually pretty useful because that kind of allowed me to to learn and, and improve and become a, what I am today, which hopefully is good. Yeah, man. Yeah, well, a bit emotional. Hey, yeah, man. A bit emotional. Three minutes no into tears, the no pod tears, and everyone was no like, hey, what's going on here? There's no Bollywood <laughs> movies, no tears here. <laughs> Um, ready for well, a therapy I just... session, not football pod. <laughs> hey, listen, for those that are regular listeners, the, the No Ratings pod isn't just a football pod. It is, in fact, a therapy pod. You can bring your problems here and we will discuss them. Don't know if you'll get any results out of them, though. That I can't guarantee. Um, but just very quickly, Babs now has 124,000 followers, so I can absolutely guarantee you that arrogant young lad that I knew back then. And to be fair, I was arrogant, too. Um, has now grown to be a shining star that I have to... I had to, I had to be in the DM request to actually get a DM back from this guy, you know? That's the level we're at now, you know? <laughs> no, man, listen, you're too humble, man. You've done so much as well. So I have to say, man, massive, massive shout out. Thank you, bro. Man, this is an emotional start to the pod. This is an emotional start to the pod. Um, also, for you listening as well, just very quickly, we just did our Spotify wrapped, actually, literally just an hour and a half before recording. I'm just going to read a few things out. And this isn't to show off that the pod's doing this, that, and the other. It's genuinely to say thanks, because like me and the producer in a group, I was getting hella emotional. As you can tell, I brought all that emotion into this pod uh, right, right off the bat. Um, Apparently, according to this, we've been heard in 38 countries. Uh, the top countries are the UK, India, United States, Ireland, Canada, Kenya, uh, Jamaica. Like, you look, how are you finding us in Kenya and Jamaica? That's crazy. Um, our podcast is in the top 25% most shared globally, which is insane, like actually insane. Um, and we're the number one podcast for 219 people, which is, again, like very, that, that's globally as well. Uh, so yeah thank you to you lot who are listening keep following keep subscribing and you're probably going listen there's been enough tears let's talk football let's talk about football and uh, Argentina have gone through but I want to start on the other side of the group uh, when where, where Mexico and uh, Saudi turned up and had a bit of a, a classic a banging free kick then yellow cards were getting mentioned Poland decided they weren't even playing football Saudi decided to ruin the party Saudi Arabia let's talk about them for a second Bells are they one of the like the most slyly enjoyable teams to watch in this tournament? Yeah, I mean you've got to say like fair play to them. I I remember seeing a TikTok actually before the tournament started, saying that because they're one of the few teams where all the players play in their domestic league, they suspended the league early so that they could fit in like I think it was something like six friendlies, like warm up friendlies, just to get ready for this for this tournament. So fair play to them. They had a great tournament their fans went over had a great tournament and as well just for like the identity of sort of Saudi Arabian football I think it's massive that they've had the tournament that they have had and obviously you mentioned like our religion at the start of the show and I'm not Muslim myself but I can imagine that seeing some of the scenes when they scored the goals some of the celebrations what that means to different Muslim communities around the world must it must mean a lot so like I said fair play to them and let's let's uh, see how if they'll be there in four years' time as well, I'm not too sure. I don't, I don't keep up with Saudi Arabian football often, but if they will be, I'm sure it'll be another, another great uh, event and celebration for them. I mean, you got to be fair and say like 
they probably made one of the worst groups, one of the best groups, beating Argentina, throwing everything up in the air, then rolling over for Poland. And actually, to be fair, they could have beaten Poland. And then in this Mexico game, carrying on till the 97th minute as if they were going to go through by winning. I mean, kudos to them. And I am Muslim and I have been saying this whole tournament. I mean, I was supporting Tunisia for no reason. I know three of their players. I'm a student of the game, but I barely know their players. I'm out here going, Senegal, let's do this. Cameroon, I'm back in any Muslim team at this point. Unfortunately, most of them have gone out, uh, including the lads at Iran, who I was supporting wholeheartedly. Um, Bavs... On the other end of this group, Mexico didn't turn up the whole way through this group stage. Then they were unbelievable against Saudi Arabia. Yeah, they were shooting from everywhere. I saw a couple of shots from the halfway line, basically. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, you know, looking at the way they were playing, you kind of see the whole arguments they've had with Messi recently, with the whole shirt scandal and stuff like that. Um, to, to, for, for Messi to miss the penalty in his game, and that kind of knocked Mexico out. I mean, it's, it's quite a storyline. Uh, but look, I have to say to Mexico, it's weird because the fact that Poland are going through and I watch their games and I'm, I've not been convinced. I actually would probably say Mexico are the better team. Maybe Saudi Arabia are. But the fact that Mexico, that Poland are going through, listen, this is just the World Cup. It's just how the game works. And ugh, I don't think it's fair, but it is what it is. Hey, they stunk the place out against Argentina. Uh, it was horrible to watch. <laughs> Gregory Krasoviak, who got the yellow card, actually let go of the player he was tugging and because he knew for a fact that he was going to get booked. And then the manager went, nah, nah, get off, bro. We're not having that second. I was like, you not? They actually were trying to avoid making tackles. In my opinion, that's like the worst. Like, they were actually happy to go out on the basis of yellow cards. It's the most bizarre, like, mentality, especially when you've got someone like Lewandowski up front. And now they take on France anyway. So it's kind of like, well... You're probably going to go home because, Raj, I think you're going to agree with me. Poland don't have a chance against France. Yeah, I've not been impressed with them all tournament, really. They've got a few decent players and they're not maximising them. Uh, obviously, Lewandowski, they've got Milik as well. He's actually been in good form for Juventus this season. And then Piotr Zielinski, who's been one of the stars for one of the best teams in Europe, Napoli. Uh, but the way they play football doesn't uh, maximise them. Firstly, he doesn't even play Milik all the time. He brings him in and out of the team. Played one of, started one of the three games in the group. Uh, then in one of the games, he put Zielinski up front as a striker. And then generally their style of football, they don't really play through the thirds much at all. They just lump it up top, hope it sticks, and then try and build from there. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't fancy them. That it, that back line looks pretty awful as well. Camel Glick. I remember I went to Man City versus Monaco in the Champions League about in 2017. And he was awful then, and he's still look, and he's even worse now. So um, yeah, the polls are—they are getting destroyed by uh, the, the pace of Mbappe, Fia Hernandez. I can't see them standing a chance. Yeah, man. And then on the other side, let's let's talk Messi. Let's talk Argentina. I feel every time we talk about Argentina, we talk about Messi. The two are very connected, and they they have to coexist. But this time, actually, I think Messi very much so deserves to be talked about. In the previous two games, I don't think he was particularly wonderful. Obviously, he had the great goal against Mexico. But then in this game, it felt like Messi sort of through this tournament, going through the gears. We're slowly seeing Messi sort of try to reach the level that he needs to reach. Uh, and the rest of the ecosystem sort of working with him. But we've seen three very different performances. Against Saudi, they couldn't, they could not deal with the pressing. They could not deal with the aggression. And Messi did start hiding. We did discuss that on the pod. Then they take on a Mexico who just sat in and sat in and just basically dug in to get something out of it, end up losing to a Messi moment. And then they take on Poland, who sit back and don't do anything. So we've kind of gone, well, they were garbage. They were half decent they were tremendous 
where the truth where does the truth lie in between that Babs? I think with with Argentina in general is you look at their team and it, there is so much promise there. You know, there's so many good players that you think, okay, look, they do well at the club. You look at the defenders. Uh, I know Martinez. Uh, I don't think he started today, but you got Martinez, you got Romero, in the midfield you got McAllister doing so, uh, bits for them. These guys, you know, looking at what he's done at Brighton as well. But I think with Argentina is it's a matter of we'll see how they are the knockouts and how Messi provides the moment of magic because. I don't think they are the team to just go and take it. You know, when Germany won it in 2014, mm. they had a team. There was no standout players. There was a team of just excellent players. Argentina's team is a bit hit and miss at times. And even the players that you think are good sometimes aren't that good. But I think it's down to Messi now because this is his time. This is his last ever World Cup. If you want to turn up now, this is a timer, bro. Because, you know, I still think he's the GOAT regardless. But, you know, to win a World Cup, especially in Argentina, you look at uh, Diego Maradona and how he's you know looked at. If he wants to be in that category, in, in Argentinian fans' minds at least, he has to win the World Cup. He has to turn up. Uh, so, I think they're good. They're nothing special, but they're a lot better than England. I think, I think though, like, the thing that stuck out for me today, so I actually didn't end up watching Argentina's first two games just because of work clashes and whatnot. So I was watching this one just as, like, an isolated game. I hadn't seen much of the four games of, of their previous two. And I was finding in the first 30 minutes, everything good that was happening, it was through Messi. And that was exciting, like, the playmaking, the shots in the box. Like, he was really that guy. But then it got to the point where I was like, there's only so much he can do actually here because don't get me wrong, you can have a messy moment and that might have come in like the 70th, 80th minute if it was still nil-nil. But it was once McAllister kind of got involved more, Enzo Fernandez got involved a bit more. It was once these guys got involved, actually the overall team was playing better. So like, I think it's better for Argentina as a, as a total, as a, as an overall, if they're just not relying on Messi. And I think that's quite an obvious point, but like, I don't, I don't know if it actually is because of how much the narrative is around Messi and this being his last World Cup and him needing to pull through. So, yeah, for, for as good as Messi is, they need the team to pull together and they need everyone uh, at, in tip-top performance, especially in that final third. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's a coincidence either that their best performance uh, today came with this midfield that they've lined up with. So today, obviously, the Enzo Fernandez, Rodrigo de Paul and Alexis McAllister, midfield three. First game, they'd gone with a... Um, uh, midfield of uh, Paredes, Rodrigo de Paul and uh, Papu Gomez. I think that's a, that wasn't the right mix. Now you've got Enzo Fernandez who can build the play from the base of midfield. He's an excellent playmaker. His passing range is phenomenal, really. And it's why some of the best clubs in Europe want him. And de Paul is always going to provide that energy and legs on the side of the midfield. And now McAllister has been interesting because at Brighton, he plays deeper, controlling things. For Argentina today, he was a really good penalty box threat making those runs into the box. And what that does is it allows Messi to drop deeper uh, and create. Uh, but then you've got McAllister and Rodrigo de Paul bursting beyond him. So you don't lose that penalty box threat from Messi coming deep. And I think they, they look the most lethal today with that setup. Um, and I think that gives them a decent chance of progressing a bit further. That's why I waited a minute because I saw your tweet about McAllister going into the box. And then, of course, when McAllister scored, of course, I saw the second tweet of you showing off that you tweeted the first one. <laughs> That's what I was like. Let's, let's hear let's hear the knowledge that you've been uh, throwing around on Twitter. Um, they take on Australia next, who are obviously have made it through somehow. Um, Denmark were horrific in this group. Tunisia, man, uh, my heart bled for them. For them to beat France, like imagine going into that game, they would have gone. If we beat France, we will hundred percent be going through. Like it's, it's that's like the most impossible task to then beat France and have that VAR moment in, at the end of the game go in their favour. 
and then to go out. I'm just shaking your head. That's that's like because I was watching that game and I was saying to myself, obviously you knew that the whole Australia result was was decided, but I was saying to myself that VAR moment could have been one of the greatest moments of all time because if you know if Denmark had scored a goal and it was one one, if the game was going in France, if they got the draw, let's just say ref blows a whistle and Tunisia finds that they're going out, then out of nowhere. The referee goes, no, it's not. It's not a goal. Mm. Check VAR. That would have been the greatest moment I think I've ever seen because you know you've gone from being out of the World Cup and during the game to winning the game and being in the knockout stages. But listen, I think look, credit to Australia. You know, to get to the knockout stages is massive for them as a country. But I just feel for Tunisia, man. They put so much in that game. And listen, France they played a second team, but still the goal that the Kazri scored was fantastic. To, to dance past, I think it was Varane as well. Fantastic goal. Commiserations, but that's the game. Get that around slander in there. I like it. should be starting. Let's not forget that. I, I, I get what I get what Babs was saying, but at the same time, like, it would have been bold of Tunisia to assume Denmark could score. Like they've literally didn't struggled. No, the only goal they've scored this tournament has come from a centre back, and I, I think it was like second phase from a set piece or part of a set piece. Like they, these guys have just been rubbish, especially considering they won nine of their ten qualifiers with a plus twenty seven goal difference. So you would have expected more of more from them this tournament. But yeah, ah, man. yeah thing is though, first game in this tournament they were unreal. They were so unlucky not to win that game. They, I to be fair, I backed them to to be the worst team in the tournament along with Qatar, but. I mean, being as bad as them is something because they are the worst country I've ever seen in the World Cup. Um, but I felt like when I was watching Tunisia in that first game, the only thing they missed is a striker. And because Wabi Kazri's been the boy for so long and he he has those moments like he did against France, they give it to him and they just go, go on, Wabi lad. And I'm like, you do everything right. Stop giving it to him. <laughs> well, like, just stop giving it to him. Like, he's not the guy. And then he goes and does that against France. And then obviously Wabi comes off and he's like, I told you. I'm still the guy, and they're all going wabby, wabby, and I'm like, no, he's not the guy. <laughs> I actually, I actually thought they were so decent. Like, I was relatively surprised by them. Um, Australia, on the other hand, I actually haven't been impressed by the way they play at all. I liked them in the first 20 minutes against France, and then after that, I don't. Like, if I if I put them against Argentina, I'm going. That's probably the best team for Argentina to play. They they lack players, but they lack strength in wide areas. Argentina can drag the pitch wide, although I think De Marais should probably play on the opposite side. Um, and yes, Raj, I did see your tweet. Um, and then, <laughs> <laughs> I just think you can stretch the pitch against them and, and make all the space in the middle for Messi, and that's probably Argent- uh, Australia's weakest spot and Argentina's strongest spot. So let's assume they take Australia on and beat Australia. Then they'd play Netherlands or USA. I'm assuming we're all back in Netherlands, although I do think USA will cause some problems. Then yeah. they'll take on Br- Brazil. How do we feel about that, Raj? Do, you, do, do we feel like it's going to happen in that way? Yeah, yeah, that, that, I think that will be their route. Um, the Dutch, I think actually the Dutch will in, won't mind playing against Argentina because I don't. I think the Dutch struggle when they have to take the game to the opposition. I think when Van Hal can sit in there in that low block or medium block uh, and just frustrate opposition, then hit people on the counter with Frankie carrying the ball up the pitch, Depay and Gagpo linking up through the middle. I think that actually suits them quite nicely. Um, I saw a similar game, I think, in the Nations League in the last international break. Belgium were the guys dominating the ball. Netherlands just sat deep, hit them with one Van Dijk set piece, won the game 1-0. I could see something similar happening there. So, potential upset, even though the Dutch haven't really caught fire this tournament so far. Uh, Brazil, that's a tricky one to call, isn't it? Because, obviously, Neymar, we don't know if he's going to be fully fit, if he's just going to be a shadow of himself. Oh, brother, he's going to be fit, man. 
He's taking. <laughs> he's taking. He, he's taking two months off in February for his sister's birthday. So he's he's gonna be fit for this World Cup. I promise you, he's coming fit. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that will be an interesting one. Um, we saw how the Copa America final went between the two. It was Argentina being really aggressive with Neymar and the other technical players in Brazil's lineup, and it was a just an all-out war to be honest. In the end, uh, Argentina just brought them down to their level. And I could see something similar happening, a similar type of game. But if you look at the two teams formed, I'd fancy Brazil in this form. Um, they're looking very good. As long as Tite does that midfield selection correctly and he puts Bruno Guimaraes in there and gets rid of that uh, false Brazilian Fred um, and goes with the Guimaraes, Casemiro and Neymar midfield, then they'll be in business. But other than that, Argentina could, could do something against them. Go on, Babs, you look like you're ready to go. Uh, I, listen, I'm not convinced by the Dutch. That's that was my thing. When when you said Netherlands go, I'm not sure, man. I know USA aren't special, but Netherlands have been boring. Such a boring mm-hmm. team to watch, and it's weird because you say they can't take it to the opposition, but they got the players for it. You look at the midfield, like players like De Jong and stuff. You're thinking these guys can actually be aggressive and, and play some football. Um, I've never really been a fan of Van Gaal. Maybe obviously his peak was before I was really, really watching football like that. But his United teams are boring. Um, his Dutch teams, I've never been too convinced either. And to be quite honest, apart from Cody Gakpo scoring goals from just mad angles, I've not been too convinced. So I think that USA game will be a bit closer than people give it credit for. Um, but yeah, in terms of past that, you're looking at, you know, if they get past, USA will go knocked out. They ain't winning this tournament. Um, but Brazil, I've not been too convinced either. That's because I think they're best. Uh, yeah, Babs, I, feel, I feel like there's a bit of rhythm. Here. I feel like you're not convinced by anyone at this point. <laughs> no, I'm not, man. I've got, I've got high standards. Just watching our yeah. ball gives you this. Yeah, this is what happens when you watch our ball. Football just gets ruined for you because you just you've got these high standards now of football. And then you watch this and you're just like, it's not the same, man. It just isn't. Wait, South um, but, Yeah. Oh. Yes, there you go. It's, it's, it's like watching Conte ball, man. It's awful. Uh, but, you know, listen, I take it as first under in. But uh, looking at Brazil as well, I think the best number nine's on the bench. I'll stand by that. I, I keep saying that. I think Richardson is not involved enough. Team name, not convinced. Team name, not convinced. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a long list. Um, yeah. Bells, on the Gabriel Jesus-Richarlison debate, I feel like you're the perfect person to ask here because Richarlison yes. plays for Everton, you're a Liverpool mm. fan, so you probably absolutely hate him. Gabriel Jesus plays for Arsenal and I don't I don't feel like you have any sort of particular affection towards him and he hasn't mm. really played very well for Brazil. If you had a choice between the two starting for Brazil, and I have my thoughts on this and I will add them, who would you start? So you, you are right that I did used to dislike Richarlison strongly, but I have to say, you know when he scored that the second goal in the opening game, yeah, I had to just say fair play. Uh, you've just done that with blonde hair on the biggest stage, probably the biggest game of his career so far. And and like, what a goal it was. That's just like that's just like Brazilian heritage, you know, the number nine doing that in the World Cup. So I had to say fair play to him. So for that, I did get why he kept his place in the second game. But then he was really bad. Like there's a there's a graph or, or sort of like a, a position map of where all the players were, and he was so far ahead of the rest of the team. It was like horrific. So that doesn't didn't bode well for him. In terms of Gabriel Jesus, I actually I don't know. I don't think Babs will agree. I actually don't mind if he played like right wing because back when like I used to watch Brazil every week for like to watch Coutinho there was like a period where the front three was Neymar Firmino and Jesus and it just really worked because Firmino would be dropping into those pockets allowing Jesus to be the runner in behind and get central and get goals so I wouldn't mind that but at the same time like 
I, I really like guys like is it Rodrigo or Drago? I don't know how the correct to say it is. Like Babs was talking about moments, but let's not forget what that guy did in the Champions League semi final. Like what was it? How many how many minutes left on the clock? And he came up with those with that goal, big goal. So yeah, they I think they have got big big players in there. And and I get what he was saying as well, but you know, individual players need to stand up. But I think Brazil's strength is they've got m- many players who could do that again. So Vinicius, Neymar. Uh, Rodrigo, um, maybe Paqueta. I don't know if I've seen enough yet to be convinced of that. But yeah, uh, that's my kind of thoughts. I don't know. I think I kind of uh, swerved the question. <laughs> yeah, with uh, Jesus and Richarlison, I think it's clear Jesus is the all-round better player. I mean, technically, his, his aggression in the way he presses uh, definitely uh, clear of Richarlison. I think one thing though, I'd say Richarlison in the box is a bit more lethal. And I think when you've got Neymar, if he when when he's fit, you have got Neymar and then Gimaresh behind him. It could it, it, J, uh, Jesus is kind of link up play and technical ability becomes a bit less important because those guys are already filling those pockets of space. But as we saw in the last game, when Neymar was out, I would have played Jesus because you don't need that mm. uh, ability to to do that kind of thing. Uh, and then, uh, as you said, Richardson was nowhere to be seen in terms of link up play or anything. And Brazil's all round game suffered. So probably whilst Neymar's out, I would probably pick Jesus as a nine. Uh, maybe when he's back, then you bring in Richardson to try and bring that penalty box threat. But yeah, it is an interesting debate. I don't think there is a wrong answer with this one. I I think like I love Gabriel Jesus. He's genuinely one of my favourite uh, forwards. I just said it as we stopped recording for a second that he's he's like a five foot nine target man, and like <laughs> it is so weird like how strong he is, how well he holds the ball. Actually, Loki reminds me of Luis Suarez, not in the output sense, but in the sense that you can chuck him the ball at his throat. And he can he can hold it off at the biggest defender and turn them inside out and, and leave them guessing mm. where he is. I do think that Richarlison is like that moment's player for a World Cup. Like that goal, the overhead kick, actually comes from a horrible first touch. Like it's actually such a bad first touch that the only thing he can actually do is overhead kick it and, and kind of pulls it off and you go, wow, what a moment. He'll have those, that, that will continue to happen like on a conveyor belt because of the sort of character he is. However, if you want to play better football, then you probably start getting Gabriel Jesus. Do I think Brazil are that bothered about playing sexy football? Certain individuals are, and I think they naturally will be sexier to watch than other teams, but I think they just want to win games at this point. Um, speaking of sexy football, let's go to the non-sexy part of the World Cup. England. Um, <laughs> I want to ask a very broad question. It's been on my mind ever since England qualified. Are England actually good? And I'll let everyone have their say on this before we start throwing ourselves at each other. But I feel like, to be fair, I think the answer will be pretty pretty much the same all across the board. Raj, I'll start with you. Are England actually good? I mean, you have to look at the two of the three performances and say, yeah, brilliant attacking performances. I haven't seen that kind of fluency in our, in our attacking play in several years, to be honest. But then you intersperse that with the USA game where we couldn't control the game. The US actually won the midfield battle, I'd say. Um, so it's mm. a mixed bag, really. I don't think we're a top-tier team like the Brazils, like the Argentinians, like the French, or even Spain or Germany probably have a lot better coaches than us as well. So I think we're not in their bracket. I think we're below them. Um, but you have to say, I think, attacking-wise, we are improving, but getting Bellingham into the team, I think the next step has to be getting Phil Foden in as, as a starter into the team. Uh, I thought he was excellent yesterday. He made the difference in the second half, running at, at the Welsh players. They couldn't handle him. And then obviously he got his goal as well. Uh, I personally think we need to put him into midfield so we can see the best version of this England team. I, I don't think we've got a player as capable as him in tight spaces on the half turn. He can be our Neymar, our Messi, 
uh, Musiala. I don't think we we have another player like him in those kind of positions. But yeah, I, I don't think we're quite there yet. Um, I think we, I can also see Southgate going back to a bit more of a boring brand of football in the knockouts, playing a bit more safe with a free at the back and just soaking up pressure and looking to hit teams on the counter-attack. So I don't think we've evolved enough yet to impart our game fully on the best teams in the world. And I think we'll see that in the knockout stages. So are England actually good or no? <laughs> I'd say we're decent, but we're not a top-tier nation. Bells? I think that like the point about Southgate going back to boring football is probably fair. But like in in tournament based games like this, it's worked and it kind of like it's got it's got England deep into international tournaments before. So like on that basis, that's good. It's not enjoyable, but it is good. So back to the question, you know, are England a good team? And then like, in terms of the squad as well, I think I counted there's like ten players in the English squad who have reached like Champions League final at club level. And so for like context, Brazil has about I think twelve, Spain has ten, I think Germany had about eleven. Argentina had like three. So in terms of that, in that sense, there is quality littered throughout that squad. And again, just guys like Foden, Bellingham, these these are technically really good players. Kane with the sort of playmaking arc he's on now as well, like a top-tier playmaker. So yeah, again, attacking-wise, there is quality there. I think with that sort of double pivot, I think there is a bit of a drop-off. If you're not playing Rice and then Bellingham in the right way, there is a bit of a drop off to who they bring in next. So against better opposition, it might it might get found out. They might get found out, but at the same time, I still think this team can go can go deep in the competition. And if that means that they're good, then yeah, I think they are good. Come on, Babs. I feel like you agree with one point Raj said about playing forward in the middle because I saw your tweet. Wasn't it something like yeah. Southgate let me dream or something like that? No, not let me dream. I have a dream. <laughs> Southgate doesn't have to let me dream. I don't need permission from Southgate. <laughs> Um, but no, I think what it is, admit it. No, he's not. Thankfully, <laughs> he's not. My life is a lot better than that. Thankfully, very much. Um, I think, yeah, look, I would like to play Foden down the middle, but I just don't think Southgate has what it takes. He don't have the, I don't know if I'm, he doesn't have the balls, right? He doesn't have that ability to just go right. This is how I should play. He's always very reactive rather than proactive. You know, he wants to kind of just wait for a mistake to happen, then make the change. Rather than when you can see the mistakes there. You can see that Foden will thrive more in other positions. He's still going to hold him on the right-hand side. Um, and I think more looking at it as well, looking at the way the England team plays, the midfield is not imposing. Uh, Bellingham's a good player, um, but I just think with alongside Rice, it doesn't form an imposing midfield partnership. In terms of on the ball, I actually think we're kind of missing Calvin Phillips. Um, and I also just can't get my head around the fact that we have got potentially a, a generational creator as a right-back just sat on the bench, not used at all. You look at Trent Alexander-Arnold. I know he's not in the best of form, but I just think he has to. You have to find a way to put him in a team. He's he's done he's done too much in his career. He's got the Champions League finals, won a Premier League title. You can't just have him on the bench. You have to find a way to maximize your best players. And he, for me, is definitely one of our best players. Just sat on the bench, unused. That's that's so much potential is untapped. You look at uh, Trent, for example, crossing it to Harry Kane. That's a that's a potential partnership there that could that could provide a moment. But you've just got that sat on the bench because Southgate is just playing the safe option because you know Trippier's fine and Walker's fine, but you've got a potential game winner just sitting there. Uh, so, yeah, I think England, for me, if they are going to progress in this tournament because they ain't going to win it, um, it's just about finding balance, finding just the perfect balance going forwards and trying to maximise the informed players. So, you know, you look at Rashford against Wales because he scored two goals, he can't drop him now. But, you know, he's a player that if he starts against uh, Senegal in the, in the last 16 and he puts a poor game in, you know, 
the fans would just say, okay, it is what it is. But Southgate is not a manager to go, even if you had a good game, even if I don't think you're suited to the game, I'll still, I'm still going to start you. Because I think you're in four minutes. It's just an easy call. He's just a very easy manager. He makes safe calls. He's never one to make a bold decision. Um, and definitely not in the knockout stages. Forget about the, the group stages. Uh, it's just boring. I mean, I watched uh, all three of the games in the pub. And there's no atmosphere. There is no atmosphere. I'd rather be watching it at home, to be honest. Because there is literally no atmosphere. And fans aren't convinced. This is boring. And England, if if anything, they just kind of score in spurts. And it kind of fools fans, you know. But look at the teams that we played. You look, you could, you look at um, Iran, not the best of team. You know, they, they beat Wales. And the fact that we beat Wales then isn't a surprise either. The only half-decent team we played is USA. And we, we couldn't beat them. And they were the better team. And you look at Southgate's entire international career. Apart from maybe Germany in the last Euros... That's the only real decent team he's beaten. Croatia, we lost. We lost to, obviously, Italy in the final. And that's the same Italian team that's not even in the uh, World Cup this time around. So I'm not too convinced. And just the thought of England is just very boring. So I'd rather not talk about it. Even though I've talked about it for like five, five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't see that coming. Babs, Babs knows how to work a room of Liverpool fans with that trench out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, no, listen, I just, I'm shocked. I just can't believe it, man. He's too good to just sit on the bench. I completely agree. I just, my thing is, to the point of the question, are England actually good? Relates to something all of you have sort of touched on. England haven't actually played a decent team yet. They played Iran in this competition and Iran folded. And Iran, honestly, they're not a good side. They beat Wales because of how bad Wales are. Let's add that in. So then mm-hmm. England then went and beat Wales, not because England were good, but also because of how bad Wales are. So when they took a took on a side that were better equipped um, in, turn, in USA, who were more physical, who could mix it a little bit, who could sort of compete. And, and I think the only difference in that game was USA didn't have the quality. And, and I think if USA had more quality, USA actually beat England. So then if you go in... England have probably played two of the worst teams in the tournament and then played one of the most average teams in the tournament. I mean, by most average, I mean like they're on the better end of the average scale. When they come up against a slightly better team, and they're very fortunate because now they take on Senegal, and Senegal aren't, they're also at the top of the average list. So England might not actually have to play a good team until the semi final. And by that time, you never know what could happen. Even in the semi final, they could get away with it a little bit as well. So then you go in. Well, you know, they, they could end up all the way in the final. And then it, anything can happen in a final. It's not happening. Um, I think <laughs> we've got... Um, I think quarterfinals, we might have to play France. I'm not quite sure about that. But I've, yeah, I've seen that that might be the team. So we're not being France. There's no chance. No matter how many <laughs> fans, how much fans. Let's just be honest. We, we're not. I think to answer your question, are England good? We've got some good players. Just not a good manager. Mm, I, mm, okay, I want to just quickly throw an argument out there. I feel as though... Southgate has done as much as near enough possible with this side. I think there's a few reasons for that. One, I don't think England have a good keeper. Um, and I think Southgate plays a back five to protect his keeper. I don't think England have two good centre-backs. They have one, which is John Stones, which is why he has to play a back three and has to play Maguire along with someone else. And we've seen, actually, even against Iran, when England played with a back four and USA, when England played with a back four, there is holes everywhere. Um and then in terms of the fullback areas, he has Luke Shaw as one left back, but on his day, Luke Shaw is brilliant. But Luke Shaw does have a tendency to switch off. And he's got a ton of right backs. Then I think he's got one hold in midfielder. And even then, I don't think he's one of the best in the world. I think he's very good. But I think that central defensive area, the back three, isn't that good. 
Mm. And so therefore, I think he makes choices to protect that defence, in my opinion. No, he does. I, I, would, I would agree with your uh, summation there. If we hadn't lost to Croatia, who I don't think were a particularly amazing side, I think they're on a, at, at most a similar level to us. And Italy, who I don't think were a great side to win the Euros. They had Chiellini and Bonucci at the back. I started, then started to watch a bit of Juventus a couple of months after that. Those guys looked horrific. They were, com- they were completely mm. past their peak. And we didn't threaten them. We just sat back mm. and didn't threaten centre-backs as slow as Chiellini and Bonucci. And I couldn't believe my eyes. And it was basically a repetition of the Croatia knockout. So I think that's where the argument falls down a bit. If we'd not destroyed by a France, by a Brazil, then that would be fair enough. But I think we've lost to some average teams. And let's see what happens when we do face an elite team like France. It could get very nasty. All right. Um, speaking of France, we mentioned Rashford. I think, Babs, you mentioned Rashford. And when Rashford scored his second goal against um, Wales, the commentator, the commentator, actually, his commentator was, oh, that's incredible. I was like, Danny Ward literally just let that through his legs. Like, I hear I hear the hype. Like, you want people to get hyped about England. But I was like, that goalkeeping was yeah. terrible. Rashford, it was a decent turn from Rashford against Callum Roberts, who doesn't play in the Premier League. Yeah. And he was playing on the left-hand side, and he's a right-back. There was a lot of reasons these things were happening. But immediately, yeah. the clamour from the internet was Rashford and Mbappe. And that picture of Rashford and his hand on Mbappe's head was circulating. And the question that came not to my mind, don't blame me, producer's mind, was that can Rashford, on his day, ability-wise, match killing Mbappe? No one answered that question. It doesn't work. It doesn't deserve an answer. It does, it does not deserve an answer, bro. That's not worth. That's not worth our time. That is not happening. I'm sorry. You can. I'm, I would just sit back. I'm not answering that question. I'll give you a, a, an answer to it. Rashford, on his day, this is peak Rashford. His best performance possible could probably match him as an outlet who can get goals uh, uh, from just running in behind and having good finishing ability and good shot power. But the rest of his game, he can't dribble even half as good as Mbappe. I've never seen him beat a fullback probably for the last two seasons. Um, he can't create. He's hey, got... hey, hey, he beat Callum Roberts. Sure. Yeah, finally. Oh, he beat Callum <laughs> Roberts, man. <laughs> but yeah, when I see Rashford, I always see him. He always cuts inside and just smacks it as hard as he can. Like, he doesn't even think about crossing it or putting a delicate little pass in. There's just huge levels in between the all-round ability of the two players. Maybe as a goal scorer, as, even as a goal scorer, he doesn't match Mbappe, actually. That's complete rubbish from me. <laughs> but, yeah, it's just nothing. It's nothing but um, pace. Okay, Rashford maybe, just pace. always reminds pace, me. Similar pace, maybe. Rashford reminds me of a player. Whenever I see him play, do you know those World Cup adverts, the Nike adverts? He always feels like he's playing in like a Nike advert. It's just the skills. <laughs> he just always feels like that. Do you know that music? What's that World Cup 2014 advert? Yeah, there's a certain song for that advert that plays. Every time Rashford gets the ball, I'm guaranteeing that song goes through his head. Because he thinks he's a, he thinks he's a Nike advert. Because like, he's a good player. I've got nothing against him. I think he's a fantastic player in terms of potentially. But Mbappe, Rashford, let's not do this. I think I think the reason why the comparison just feels so out of pocket is because the level no Mbappe is the way we Mbappe is as good as we think he is because of the consistency that he reaches that level that we're talking about. So like to say someone on their day are they as good as someone who is probably the best player at the World Cup? maybe the best player in the world currently. That's where it just feels a bit, you know, wishy-washy. Bit of a stretch. Yeah. All right. I don't take... I, it wasn't my idea, so take take that away from my plate. It was not me. 
Um, I also completely agree. I think Mbappe is at a level that like you can't compare him to the players that you have to say on their day. Like mm-hmm. I think you have to compare him to players that have their day all the time, which is your Haaland's or maybe maybe some might say De Bruyne. I personally wouldn't. Maybe your Salah's, like them sort of characters, like who have been at the absolute elite level for such a long period of time. Just quickly, actually, just as that question has come in my mind, Fully fit, firing. Would you have Mo Salah or Mbappe? I'll start with you, Babs, because you're the Arsenal fan in here. I feel like you might have a very, very interesting take on this. Fully fit and firing. That's a good question, actually, because Salah is very good on his on his day. Uh, but Mbappe is just something else, man. He's just something else. When he just teases players. He's my type of player. Salah's a very effective player, but Mbappe's got that the genesis quoi. He's got that bit of that bit of it. I don't know where I pulled that one out for, by the way. But I think he just he has that something that you get to if you gets you off your seat and you just so does Salah, by the way. But I just think Mbappe has a bit more flair for my liking. So I'd go Mbappe. Hmm. Raj? It's a good question. I think when I'm saying fully fit peak Salah, I'm talking uh let's say oh, the no. Start the, of season. Yeah, yeah, them them three or four months, the City, yeah. Watford and whoever else it was. Yeah, I, I think that Salah is on the is better than Mbappe at the moment, I think. Uh and Salah even back then, he even now even, he creates to a high level as well as goal scoring now. I'm seeing him come even in the warm up match for the World Cup against Belgium, he lofted some beautiful pass over the top of the Belgium defence. They scored. That's that's where his game's evolved in the last 18 months, I'd say. He's now creating. He got the Playmaker Award in the Premier League. And Mbappe, I know it's a similar cliche, he's still doing it in the Uber Eats French League at, at the end of the day as well. He hasn't shown he can do it. Hey, hey, no, 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 hold on, hold on. <laughs> I, I know for a fact, if this was just a random debate, you would just say French League. But you have to throw in there Uber <laughs> Eats French League to downgrade it. It's got to be done, man. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think even Salah now is probably just slightly ahead of Mbappe as a player. I think obviously Mbappe is going to clear him by multiple levels. I think uh, he's going to become one of the all-time greats. But at the moment, I'd still take Salah over Mbappe, personally. Wait, so you're saying the Salah version right now you would have over the Mbappe version right now? Oh yeah, I think Salah's made... There's no Salah version right now. It's like the World Cup. <laughs> That's true. Well, I mean, like pre-World Cup, pre-World Cup. for that <laughs> uh, yeah, in the, honestly, I would take him still. I think he's still been top class this season. I think the main, the main issue at the start of the season was being shoved out on the right flank. Uh, I don't know what happened to the tactics then, but you've seen in the recent weeks, he's gone back to his best level, took Man City's defence apart, let's not forget that as well, on his own, really. Um, and yeah, I think he is still... A, 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 it's a hair's breadth between them, but I still have him just above Mbappe currently. My next... Oh, no. You're the yeah, last no. one. <laughs> if I yeah, if you're if you're if you're offering me like the start of last season Salah, then yeah, I would have that version. But then at the same time, if you're saying you know Liverpool can sign Mbappe in January but lose Salah, uh, I'm saying yes. Oh, I might no wait. <laughs> oh, I don't because I'm just thinking like for the future for the longevity wise. Like having Mbappe, oh yeah, like you Mbappe, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you you're taking this question to a, a safer direction here. I yeah, can see yeah. that. <laughs> I think the fact that Liverpool fan has to think about it, the answer is obvious. That's true. To be fair, that is a good point. Like that, I think that's just how highly though I rate Mbappe as well. And just it, it sounds like stupid as well, but he's just such a star in it. Like he's mm. gone to the World Cup, seven World Cup goals now at twenty three years old. I think Messi's. 
got seven, like, in mm. his whole career. So, like, he's just insane. He's a star. He knows what the show is. Or he knows he knows how to be the, the star of the show on on a stage like that. Um, so, yeah, it's more, maybe it's me just more getting, like, excited at the possibility of Mbappe playing in the Premier League for Liverpool and having that Haaland rivalry, yeah. I don't think he's coming to Liverpool personally, but no, he's um, <laughs> yeah, he hasn't been going Arsenal, but he's going Madrid. Um, uh, I think that peak Salah, and I, I do actually agree with Raj. I think Salah's added so much more to his game this season, and it's kind of slept on as to like how much of a career he's become. That peak version of Salah was actually unplayable. It was like, and I don't want to get burnt for this, but it was like watching peak Messi, where like whatever the opposition did, you couldn't stop him. Whereas I think there are ways to stop Mbappe. And I think that's purely because his game hasn't developed fully yet. I think when his game fully develops, he will start to remind you of like Thierry Henry, when Henry would turn up and you just, you couldn't stop him. Like there, there he had power, he had pace. I think at the moment, Mbappe, you, you double up on him sometimes or you can frustrate him. And because he's lacking a bit of maturity in his game, he'll get frustrated or he'll switch off and then and then he will sort of stand around. I think with the, the real absolute most elite players, with your Salas and your Henrys at their peak, they you just don't catch them in their moments. Like they 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 can take a game from you on their worst day and their best day, and that's why I would just edge peak Salah. Would I have peak Salah right now? Over go on go on, Bells. What you say? I'll say I take it back, Salah. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the sales pitch has worked. <laughs> um, all right, Salah was not. There was no plan to have Salah involved in any of these World Cup episodes, but as ever, the man squeezes in. Um, very quickly, before we hop into this week's icebreaker, um, well, this episode, it's not this week because I think we're releasing like four episodes a week at the moment, which is sensational if you ask me. Shout out the editors, the producers and the men behind the system. Um, most impressive ballers so far this tournament. Let me throw out a few names. Um, Mohamed Kudus of Ghana. I just want to very quickly say I was filming a TikTok and um, in the TikTok, I referred to Kudus playing for Cameroon and not Ghana. And you will not believe how angry, how angry Ooh. the Ghanaian community was in the comments. I was yeah. getting battered. <laughs> um, yeah, had to take that down real quick. But um, <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think Kudos at Ghana, Ghana. If you want to clarify, in case they followed, they followed me to the pod. Um, he looked. I mean, I said actually when Liverpool played Ajax, I've only watched him a handful of times, maybe six or seven times. But he he looks like a player who's playing. In every every team he plays for, he's better than that team, if that makes sense. You know, when, when mm. you see a player and you go, yeah, he's getting a move. Um, he's one of them. Uh, and FC Porto currently have um, Loni Estacqua. I think that's how you say his name. It's a terrible, that's an awful pronunciation. Plays for Canada, though. Centre mid, number seven, little man. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Ran the game. Uh, he, he was unbelievable in the game against Belgium. I've watched him four times. I watched him twice before that, and I was like, oh, this, this little guy looks interesting. Um Go on. What are you gonna say, Babs? No, no, I was just thinking of who the player was because it's striker well, but I don't. Yeah, the pronunciation was awful. I was yeah, that's not how you say his name. It's uh, yeah. I swear it's because no, I know Eustachio. exactly who you're talking about as well. Eustachio, Eustachio, Eustachio that's what it is. There you go. Eustachio. What did I say? Estaca. Yeah, I was thinking. I knew. I know you're talking about, but it's not that player, is it? Bells. Anyone impressed you in the tournament? Yeah, I think I misinterpreted this question when I was jotting Shock. down some Shock. players. <laughs> Oh, shots fired. Because <laughs> why I like star of the tournament is not a young, up-and-coming, promising player. If anything, it's someone who's fizzling out. And I'm really happy that he's having this moment at the moment. And mine was Griezmann. Just because, oh, 
I really, the type of player he is, I just really, really like the way he plays. And like this, a type of player whose first thought every time he picks up the ball is, how am I going to turn on this and play someone in? How am I going to flip the ball on and play a winger in or, or sort of make those opposing runs to Giroud and be a, a pivot? I know Mbappe and Giroud had their own pivot gang thing going on, but also be like a pivot centrally. Um, and he's a player who I think maybe never fully consistently hit the levels that people expected of him um but he's what like 30 now and just rolling it back for another tournament for France I think he's like Deschamps one of Deschamps most used players in like international tournaments so yeah I just wanted to give a shout out to him because I'm really enjoying watching him I don't know if he can keep it on for the, like the whole of the tournament because obviously he is aging but if he does uh, I will be tuning in for Griezmann ball I think similar to Bells I had a similar interpretation I actually went for Bruno Fernandes I think I think he's been pretty effective. Um, and, you know, I've always been on his back a little bit, but this tournament, he's kind of kind of carried Portugal. Um, he scored, obviously, two goals in the last game, but one goal, obviously, was maybe a cross. Um, and, and two assists in the first game as well. I think he's been really impressive. And I think this is, his, this is his first ever World Cup, his first ever tournament for Portugal. And obviously, with the age he is now, this is this, this uh, time for him to shine. So I think, I think I'm being surprised by how good uh, Fernandes has been considering the talent that, that Portugal team has. Uh, but in terms of young stars, you know, obviously you have to shout Saka for this first game. I think he scored um, two goals, obviously, in that game as well. Um, but to be honest, I, I think the standout players in this tournament have been more experienced. Uh, so obviously, as you said, a shout, out to, a shout out to Griezmann as well. But I think actually started something like 70 games mm. or played in 70 games in a row for, for France, which is crazy. Uh, quick question, seeing as you mentioned Bruno Fernandes. Earlier in one of the episodes in the pod, I want to say Leah said he would have Paqueta over Erdegaard. And most so of what? the internet <laughs> most of the internet was like, I mean, it got to a point where he was like, I think we need to take that clip down. And I was like, no, 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 are you keeping it alive? <laughs> um, but Erdegaard or uh, Bruno Fernandes, if you had a choice, would you take Bruno Fernandes over Erdegaard? They're different players. They're, they're completely different players. Um, Erdegaard is literally, he's more of a... You look at phases in midfield, you've got the first phase, the defensive player, the player that builds up. You've got your Rodriguez, for example. Odegaard's a second phase player. He's not a final action player like Fernandez. He will never get the goals and assists Fernandez gets. But he will always just be a better player in terms of ball security, in terms of just keeping the attack ticking. I've always seen these charts of expected threats and stuff like that. And Odegaard's always up there because he's just so consistent and so underrated in that aspect. So would I take Fernandez at Arsenal? Um, probably not because I think Odegaard does a different role for the team. Um, I think Odegaard, sorry, Fernandez is more comparison to Arsenal. We don't really have a player like that that just gets our goals and assists. It's so so spread out. Um, but would I swap him for Odegaard? I think Odegaard's just so important. He's also the captain of the team, so you can't forget that he's obviously needed behind the scenes. So uh, no, I wouldn't swap out Odegaard for Fernandez. But would you say Fernandez is the better player? Depends on what you want. If you want a goal scorer, it's, it's Fernandez. But if you want that build-up player, it's Odegaard. So, quite a political answer. Yeah, I, was, I mean, I might start calling you Jeremy Corbyn and tip-tap the <laughs> way around that, man. God damn. Even at the end, you were like, would I say he's a better player? A different type of players. Um, <laughs> uh, Raj, anyone impressed you? I mean, you've got notes there. So, everyone just strap in. Get your popcorn. This is going to take a while. Roger's just trying to get social media <laughs> clips. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, I think there's been a few that impressed me. Number one, I'd go with Moises Caicedo. I think he's been very unlucky as a man to get knocked out of the World Cup. He's impressed me in all three games, to be honest. Against uh, Qatar in the first game, he ran that game, uh, sitting in in the double pivot of their midfield. And then you look at his game against Netherlands as well. I thought he played better than Frankie in that game. He, he actually 
uh, outdid him in that game. I think he looked like a high quality midfielder. Um, and then the last game, he got the goal that uh, Ecuador thought would take him through to the knockout stages. And then they got Dumbo sucker punch straight away. So, yeah, Caicedo, I love this guy really. On the ball, he's, he's phenomenal in terms of how he can take the ball under pressure and then just play out of it. Reminds me of a former Liverpool midfielder, Jeannie Wijnaldum. Um, and then off the ball as well, he makes tons of recoveries, Caicedo. His legs are uh, absolutely outstanding the way he gets around the pitch. Um, so, yeah, he's, got, he's a lovely balanced midfielder. And then the other guy that's impressed me, and I think this has been a big turning point for France in the tournament, is Feo Hernandez. When his brother unfortunately got injured, I think since then, mm. France have looked like a different team down that left-hand side. AC Milan, you see him for them, and he runs that team, really, in terms of his playmaking and his ability to create in the final third. And now you're seeing that connection with Mbappe down the left. Uh, those guys look unstoppable. Um, and I think that kind of telepathy that those two have could fire him into the final, and then we'll see what happens. But yeah, he's another guy. Um, who else? Obviously, I can't have mentioned my boy Jamal Mustiala. He's he's been outstanding again in this tournament. Uh, Germany have struggled, but he has consistently been uh, one of their best players. And I think he played as a ten against Spain, and I think that made a big difference in terms of how much better Germany looked. And when you see Leroy Sane coming to the team now, I think Sane and Musiala will provide a bigger threat and I expect them to get to the semis or maybe uh, even further. But I think they will do better now. That's my that's my kind of outside tip, uh, that the Germans go further than many people expected. Question on Moses Calcedo. He's been linked to Liverpool. You just compared him to Gini Wijnaldum. I think me, you and Bales are probably three of Gini Wijnaldum's biggest fans. Um Oh, Bells apparently isn't. I thought she was. I point, I point into the sky as if he... I mean, he's alive, but uh, I point into the sky because I miss him. Uh, Bells don't care. Bells, we, we no, saw no, your I face. Did. When I, when, no, when he got that injury, I, I really... I was, there's a Genie Wijnaldum-shaped hole in that Netherlands side, which he would fill. There's also a Genie Wijnaldum-shaped hole in my Instagram followers. He dis, he unfollowed me two days ago. Heartbreak. I, did, I don't know what I did wrong. I didn't even post a story two days ago. He just unfollowed me. I was like, why did that happen? That's an L. <laughs> Very quick question on Moses Carcedo. He's been linked to Liverpool. Um, Raj, would you like him at Liverpool? Is he the sort of player that you think would fit in? Yeah, I think he literally is one of the missing pieces in the jigsaw right now for Klopp. Uh, I think Liverpool, as we all know, are getting cut through midfield far too easily, uh, even with Thiago and Fabinho there. I think Carcedo, he adds that physicality there and he adds that control in possession, which is missing when Thiago isn't playing, which is very often because of his injury record. So I think, yeah, he, he's just a dead cert fit and starter in a Klopp team. Right, here. As always, uh, we'll finish this episode with a uh, an icebreaker. That's probably the warmest end to, to an episode we've had in ages, you know, because World Cup has, keeps throwing out arguments, whereas, like, Raj going on about how lovely Casado is. I mean, I think you even said in that it was very cute. I love this man. And I was like... You did. <laughs> <laughs> I noted that. I was like... That's an interesting choice of word, but all right. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, the icebreaker for this week is very simple. If you could play for one team in any World Cup, which team would it be? Uh, I'll ask you guys very quickly. Uh, Bavs, if you could play for one World Cup team in in any year, in any time, who would it be? Brazil, two thousand and two. Yeah, I feel that's very obvious. What, what what position would you play though? How are you getting into that team, bro? Just anywhere, anywhere in that team as long as I'm there. Just, <laughs> just, as, long as, I'm, as long as I'm in that team photo, I'm I'm there. <laughs> Bells. Well, I, would, I feel like it's a harder question for me as a not really athletic female, but I'll go with like just nostalgia, and I'll go with, like Spain '08. I'll be little Iniesta replacement in there. You know hey. me. 
turn oh, the ball, yeah. scanning, passing, <laughs> moving. <laughs> the buzzwords, every buzzword. <laughs> uh, Raj? I'm going to go for England Euro 2004 because I would have been the missing piece in that midfield which would have got England <laughs> glory in that tournament. My best position is as a holding midfielder. So I'm not known as the uh, brown Casemiro, the way I snap into tackles, mm. cover a lot of ground uh, and to play the odd pass here and there. So yeah, I would have allowed Gerard and Lampard to get forward whilst I screen the defence and then England win the tournament. Simple. Crazy. Crazy. Um if it wasn't yeah. for that knee injury, you might, you might happen as well. If it wasn't yeah. for that knee injury. Exactly, exactly, man. <laughs> do, do you answer the question, Nibade? Um, I mean, I could. Um, which team would I like to have played for? I think I would have played for, was it Spain 2012? Torres, David Villa up front. Ooh, no, I think it's 2010. Oh, that's, yeah, it was, yeah, it was earlier. 2008, Euro 2008 is when they both started. Then Torres got injuries and was only a sub. Oh, yeah. For the last year in 2010. Yeah, yeah, so I I think 2010, I think Torres featured in that World Cup. I just want to play featured, on the same yeah. team as Torres. Yeah, like <laughs> I'll be I'll be on the bench just to sit next to Torres. That's the only reason I want to be in that team. Um and, hey, then me, Chats- and you, me and you are exactly the same. Yeah, man. <laughs> like I'm actually decent at ball, but I just want to sit next to him and go, yo, Torres, man. Like in the future you're gonna be hench, so stay off the steroids and stay off the protein. Yeah. We like you when you're he's skinny. Looking ridiculous, skinny. Isn't he now, man? <laughs> hey, it's he's scary, huge. bro. It's scary. Um, yeah, if he, if I saw him walking towards me on the street, I'm crossing the road. And prior to that, if Torres was walking towards me on the street, I'd tell my wife to close her eyes. So the game has changed. <laughs> Fernando Torres has become a frightening man. Um, and I think on that note, we will end this week's podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Bells, Raj, Babs, thank you for tuning in and hopping on. Uh, and of course, if you don't follow the pod and you don't follow these guys, make sure you follow them, subscribe. And we'll see you on the next one, which isn't really that far away. And also... Uh, we have just confirmed a special guest for a World Cup episode, and it is so sick. I'm going to tell these guys the moment we stop recording. Uh, so, yeah, make sure you follow him so you don't miss out. We'll see you next time.